As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right, over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. Hey, Mel. Bri here. Gotta work from home today because the whole family caught a nasty. Daddy! Hey, Mikey! If you're gonna puke, find the popcorn bowl! But my availability is 110%. Coincidentally, so is my fever. <laughs> Kidding. Mel, I'm so cold but hot. Uh, but I'm gonna get you that budget. Just as soon as... Right. Mikey! Popcorn bowl! Press 1 to use Instacart and get your family's sick day essentials delivered in as fast as 30 minutes. Press 2 to keep working. Do not press 2. Just use Instacart. Brian. This is a Lip Media Podcast. We acknowledge the traditional owners of the land on which we are recording. We pay our respects to their elders, past and present, and the Aboriginal elders of other communities who may be listening today. Welcome to The Gays Are Revolting, a section of social and cultural issues relevant to gay men. We put the G in LGBTQIA+, and we're here to help you be the best G you can be. Follow us on Instagram or Twitter, or join our community on Facebook by searching The Gays Are Revolting. And don't forget to support the show and access our after shows and live streams at patreon.com forward slash gaysrevoltingpod. Hello, my lovelies. Hello. Sadly, we are down uh, one Luke again. Uh, Hopefully, we'll be back next week. But we do have everybody's second, third, and fourth favorite hosts. I don't want to know the order. (laughs) Trust me, you don't, Kyle. (laughs) How dare you, sir? (laughs) So, us Melbournians are in lockdown stage three, so we can't leave our homes to do fun things. Again. Yeah, for six weeks at this point, again. Um, But we are in triple. Digit numbers ATM, mm. so there is mm. possible talks of a stage four restrictions. Oh, um, God, yeah, so I we'll, do not know what else we do. will see. What happens? Hopefully, not. <laughs> but I mean, if it needs to happen, yeah, I'm kind of of the mind frame that if it is going to happen, I would just like for us to do it as soon as possible. <laughs> yeah, like let's just do it now. Please. I suppose to, instead yeah. of having that lingering over us, but mm, I wouldn't yeah. be able to see my boyfriend if yeah. that happened. So, well, you can move in with him for the period of time. Yeah. I mean, that's been the plan, but. It can't just happen as easy as that. No. Mm. It's it's hard, isn't it? I mean, I kind of feel like if we do go into stage four restrictions that we really need the whole country to be doing it at the same time. Yeah. Um, but politically, that's a very difficult thing to say to parts of the country mm. that haven't had a case for a while mm. that they need to go to lockdown because other parts of the country do have it. So yeah. I think it might be a while before we get anything more solid in that area. 
Which is why we're going to focus on completely unrelated topics this entire episode. <laughs> yes. Just give you something that's outside of COVID-19, for God's sake. Tom's going to be recounting every single person he's ever had sex in. Buckle uh, up. It's actually a series. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's a spin-off. Uh, no, but we do have a, um, a very interesting episode. Uh, we've got a fascinating interview to talk to us about uh, Melbourne's infamous Tasty Raids in the 90s. We're going to be joined by the creator of Tasty themselves, uh, Gavin Campbell, uh, which I'm very, very excited about. It's going to be so good. And next week we have Dr. George coming back to have a chat with us about our general, sexual or COVID-19 related health questions. Mm -hmm. So DM us on any platform or email gatesrevolting at lipmedia.com with your juicy, juicy questions. You can be anonymous. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And in tonight's after show, we're going to be taking a look at the tragic passing of actress Naya Rivera um, from Glee. She played Santana, uh, which was an amazing character. Um, but we'll also be diving into Glee's queer legacy, which is exciting. So if you're not on mm. Patreon already, please go on over and sign up and you can get access to our show at patreon.com forward slash Gays Revolting uh, So I don't know if I've mentioned to you guys, but I have this really hot doctor boyfriend. Never heard of it. Oh, my God. Who? (laughs) Yeah, I know. I know. I don't like to bring it up too often. But um, we we recently uh, celebrated our six-month anniversary. And I put a thing on Facebook about it. And I got a few similar questions, which I thought was really surprising when I was thinking about it, about asking whether we're monogamous or not. Um, Which is, you know, and I'll be honest, I've done that before as well with friends. I've asked that question to friends as well. And I was getting the question from, like, relatives and sort of acquaintances and even, like, a work colleague. Oh, really? So I thought... I don't really talk to you. Like, I, on this show, obviously, I, I'm very open about sex and, and I'm quite yeah, happy yeah. To, to have open and honest and frank conversations with people about sex. But it just mm. seems like a really weird question to ask mm. if I haven't offered the information myself. And it sort of got me thinking a little bit. And, and I've, you know, a lot of us have gone into like little COVID reading holes over the last uh, few months. Just about the oversexualization of gay men and, and mm. mainstream society's perception of gay men as being incredibly sexual people. And, and and there seems to be a bit of a, like I would never just ask a female colleague if her and her partner were in an open relationship, you know, but it yeah, seems God, like a fairly, <laughs> do you know what I mean? Would you agree? It seems like a fairly standard thing for people to. Absolutely. Like it's how we're viewed by the world. It's just these sexual beings and like, oh, like he'll be fine with it. Like it's every day for him. It's a normal thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's, it's definitely weird and I don't like it to be the norm. Mm-hmm. No. The straight community generally just assume that we're all in open relationships and mm-hmm. just assume that we're all having sex with everybody. Yeah, and please don't yeah. get me wrong. I'm not saying that there's a problem with open relationships. I'm no, just saying that the, the, the front on someone to just go up to you and ask you that yeah. is really high. And and, and I and I definitely agree that queer people generally, but but um, in this case we're talking specifically about gay men because we're talking about our own experiences. Yes. We are perhaps more sexually adventurous, but I would mm-hmm. say that that's because we've already had to look at our sexuality and, and identify that it is separate from the mainstream, so perhaps we are more open to being more sexually adventurous in other ways. Yeah. But that I don't think that means that we necessarily are more sexually adventurous. No. I think it just means that we have opened our mind to the possibility of certain things and found things that we enjoy that might not be mm. remains. I used to think that maybe it had something to do with like uh, growing up in the shadows and being so hidden and suppressing this like your whole lives and then coming out and then kind of being able to explore this. So it's like a whole rush of everything at once and you kind of just want to do it all. Mm. Also, um, do we think that um, we grow up sexually 
conceptualized because growing up pretending to be straight and everything, it's the only depiction we see of ourselves in media and like porn and things like that. So anytime we see a gay guy, it's kind of like in a sexual manner. So we think all gay men are like that. So then we kind of become that. It's our only experience and exposure to it. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think that our ability to explore our sexual appetite is not Mm. influenced by mainstream media. But I think that mainstream media's portrayal of us has been exaggerated and characterized and caricaturized um, by a very basic understanding of what sexuality is. I I, I did read a really good example that was, it said if, you know, if a heterosexual person that's not educated in the diversity of, of the sexual spectrum was to be having a conversation with two women, and one of them was a lesbian and one of them was a straight woman. The straight woman's orientation is sort of considered mm. the baseline. Like there's not really... You oh, yeah, because like that's that. more widely known. Yeah, it's sort of like, okay, so your baseline, your standard, anything different to that is different. Yeah. But then, yeah. yeah, so because lesbianism is, is is less common than heterosexuality, that means that it's at the forefront of that person's mind, which then means yeah, that they're starting to think... more likely to be used as a defining trait. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then for them, their understanding of what lesbian culture is, is it's just... Yeah. a sex thing it's it's an attraction between two women they're, they're, they're forgetting a whole lot of the rest of of the person mm. that goes with this sexual orientation the thing at the forefront of their mind is the sexual act that happens on behalf of that person so i think mm. a lot of these characters and, and keep in mind as well we didn't really start seeing these over sexualized characters in mainstream media until sort of like the the 70s 80s and especially into the 90s prior to that men gay men were portrayed more as like feminine sort of mm-hmm. sissy yeah, like a eunuch sort of. yes yeah very yeah. eunuch style there was no sexuality attached to them they more. were more just silly and camp yes then the, the image that we grow up with if we're sort of talking mm-hmm. 80s 90s noughties is a very overly sexualized one because a group of, of straight dudes in a writing room think of gay men they think well the only thing that differentiates me from them is the sex. So that's why. Yeah. yeah. I'd be really interested to see how future generations of gay people and queer people develop now, because now how we were speaking in earlier episodes about how there's such a influx of um, gay content with like normal shows and sitcoms and stuff like that. And like more well-developed gay characters. Mm-hmm. So I'd like to see like, growing up with those kind of figures in your life, how that will impact children now. The other side of the coin, I guess, though, is that Mm. it is important that queer sex is being shown because we are getting heterosexual sex shown on television and in, mm-hmm. in mainstream media as well. So yes, it is definitely important that there are elements of that coming through and it is being shown and normalised as well. And, and and perhaps that's the word that needs to be focused on there is normalised. It shouldn't be like yes. gay men are obsessed with sex. It's like gay men have sex with other men and and that is normal and that is fine and, and here's mm. examples of it. But they then also have lots of other facets to themselves as well. I think for a lot of gay men, they really get fixated on this kind of sexualization of everything and innuendos and stuff because men who are not represented in the media sexualized depiction of gay males begin to lose power within the subculture so gay guys i feel like a lot of gay guys are on the constant chase for that power so they are trying to get better bodies and be like ripped and be all sexual and because they want power in the whole yeah. gay hierarchy so you're saying some some gay men will push a character of of, well i I think because we're we're depicted as so sexualized and we see in all these depictions in the media of these sexualized gay men 
as like powerful and like as popular. So then gay mm. men are kind of brainwashed into trying to become that. And so they become the sexualized character. And I don't know, I think it's like a mind fuck. <laughs> I think um, 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 Mikey was sort of saying that we are sort of starting to see some more normalized gay men on television and, and in yeah. mainstream media. And that's really great. But it is interesting that we are now seeing attitudes towards trans people in a very similar way to we, mm-hmm. we saw attitudes Absolutely. towards gay men in the 80s and 90s in, in mainstream mm-hmm. media. Whilst the majority of us are trying to have mature conversations about neutral gender bathrooms and that sort of thing, yeah. we have these assholes, for want of mm-hmm. a better word, who are are going down the argument of sick men are going to be putting on dresses oh, so they come into yeah. women's toilets and, and that sort of yeah. thing. It's, it's, again, the same thing. When they look at a trans person with no understanding of it and with no attempt to try and understand what a trans person is or who a trans person is, mm. they are looking at the difference between them and that mm. individual and they're saying, oh, well, what the thing, you know, you're basically just me but wearing a dress and, that, and that's sick and that's mm. not right. And, mm. and, again, we're getting this complete lack of understanding and so going to this bizarre extreme in judgment for sure yeah i think homophobic people kind of reduce queer people down to their sex and their sexual urges yeah like they think that is the only facet to their person so that's why they have all those issues with like oh i just can't get on board with the butt sex like when homophobes like talk about you guys and stuff like that it's fine you don't have to like see that's something (laughs) of the time straight guys are the last person i'd want to fuck like yeah i've had straight guys they don't know how to douche they don't know how to give a blowjob they're awful i don't want to fuck them yeah and then like so many of those conversations that we've all had with um a lot of straight people and then as soon as they find out about you and your partner or something like that they'll be like oh who's the man who's the woman or who's the one who's the top i'm like you don't ask that immediate question like i don't ask you like who like do you fuck your wife or does she fuck you like it's not polite conversation and i don't think just because someone is gay or queer it gives you like a pass to speak like that without knowing someone do you guys have a lot of straight friends like Um, or any like immediate in your friend circle that you sort of hang out with a bit yeah yeah, but they um, are very queer, queer friendly. Like they, they're very yeah. in touch with what. I mean, obviously, we wouldn't be inside. Yeah, like I'm not. Yeah. I'm not yeah. I don't go down to the footy very much. Oh god, I've never been, and I'm fine with that. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like um, a lot of straight people find solace with their gay friends and like can confide in them with that kind of stuff because we are so sex positive. And I mean, I believe as a society, people generally nowadays are evolving to be way more sex positive and just really like open yeah. to everything. Yeah, yeah. If I was talking about sex stuff would definitely be with other gay people i don't like talking you can barely talk to us about sex stuff yeah, I, mean, I, barely talk, I barely say the s word <laughs> i think you once referred to it as putting the doodle in the bum bum <laughs> okay i would i would say they made the sex As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right. Over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about Wix. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. 
Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The Tasty Raid is now infamous in Melbourne's LGBTQ community, and now with police treatment of minorities in question all over the world, we thought it was a good opportunity to look back at what's been described as Melbourne's version of historical queer moments like Stonewall in the US and the first Mardi Gras protests in Sydney. Joining us to discuss the extreme and disturbing abuse of civil rights that occurred in the raid in 1994, as well as the movement that helped propel LGBTQIA plus rights in Australia, is Gavin Campbell. Gavin was a mainstay of Melbourne's alternative gay scene in the 80s and the 90s. Yeah, that's right. He, he not only created um, Tasty, which is obviously very well known now, but several influential and iconic queer spaces and still creates directs and DJs at clubs in Melbourne today, uh, as well as running Razor Recordings, Australia's first independent dance music label. Gavin, Gavin, it's such a pleasure to have you. Thank you, Thomas. It's great to be here. Now, Gavin, uh, we could talk for hours about your life on the gay scene uh, in the 80s and the 90s, but could you try and give us a bit of a quick sense of what life was like for queer people on the scene back then, uh, and especially the diversity and freedom of expression in iconic places like Razor, uh, which was, as we said, one of the first clubs you created? Well, Razor was, uh, began in the, oh, 1986. So uh, at that time, for gay people in Melbourne, there was not a lot of interesting, shall I say, gay mm-hmm. gay venues around. Uh, <laughs> they were run by older gay men um, <laughs> and quite staid. But there's always been really good gay DJs. That the the music tended to be a little bit like Euro disco, with pop music thrown in. One of the first gay clubs I went to was one in St Kilda called Mandate. Oh, yes. And um, uh, it was such an incredible venue, just small, pokey little thing mm. with, a, with a walkway around it. So I, I would say Mandate was, Mandate was a standout in the 80s. And then, of course, there was Three Faces, which became the, the market, the market. Yeah. hotel. Mm-hmm. Yes. It, it, it went through a few different owners over the years. but And then the Peel was always there mm. in, in Collingwood as well. Good old Peel. Good old Peel. It's a perennial, isn't it? But these, these venues were okay just not underground there wasn't any like a lot of young people would avoid them to be honest and then in the 90s people were starting to get edgy starting to look for 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 more there was a brilliant club called seventh heaven run by gavin brown who's a a mate of mine who i did a club with called temple we did that in 1991 and we had a few other partners but there's too many to mention but um gavin had seventh heaven and I just got so inspired by Seventh Heaven, I said to Gavin and people, let's do something together. Uh, so we did a tasty night actually at Temple and then we, we later moved it to the Commerce Club, mm. which, was, which was the venue that, where it was raided. But 
Uh, so I've just launched into like history of clubs. No, I'm loving it. Great. <laughs> Actually, Gavin, I was going to ask because uh, there's a lot of Facebook groups, really interesting Facebook groups like Lost Gay Melbourne and that sort of thing that show uh, have a lot of um, people sharing photos from places like Mandate and that sort of thing. And to be honest, they look amazing. And I kind of feel like we really missed out on quite a fun party scene in the 80s and the 90s. Yeah. A lot of the influence that I that I sort of see from those parties, it looks as though some of it is coming from places like New York and, and that sort of thing where there was quite a healthy queer party scene in the 80s and the 90s. Without the internet, how were you getting those influences? Was that coming over in magazines? Was it coming in people's personal experiences? Were people travelling and coming back and saying, oh, I went to this sort of party and that and, and that's where ideas were coming from? Uh, well, you know what? We would travel. We would go there. Yeah. I, I, I had a lot of gay mates who would regularly go to Greek islands or Fire Island outside of New York, oh, yep. you know, places like that, um, travelling a lot. There's always been the white party circuit has always gone on for many years mm-hmm. and a lot of queens love to travel and particularly travel to party. So we would get reports back about what was going on and stuff. But for myself, I, I didn't actually get to travel outside of Australia until about 1987. Mm-hmm. I, I used to read magazines about the music. I actually knew what was going on. Yep. I knew all oh. about Frankie Knuckles and uh, Fr- Frankie's kind of regarded as the godfather of house music. Mm-hmm. I was just very aware of people like that because mm. there was a, a magazine from the US and a magazine from London. So I basically read about both sides of the pond and Australia is in a unique location. We would often get music from America before the UK of would course, get it. Yeah. And, and and the same with UK music before America would get it. So we were pretty up on, on what sounds mm. to play. And so we were really ready, mm. ready for Tasty by the time that yeah. came along. By the time Casey came. And just, sorry, before, sorry, before we get into Tasty, I'm keen to know, we would never admit it now, but would it be fair to say that at that point in, in sort of around 87, Sydney was sort of leading the way as far as Australia goes for the party scene? Oh, Absolutely. The Sydney, you see, Sydney didn't have, uh, it had a couple of underground clubs, but it didn't have great venues, a great scene. It had a party scene. Uh, the Rat Parties in particular with Jack Vigeon, mm-hmm. they were extraordinary. There was about three different party groups in Sydney that would, would, would produce warehouse parties. And from Melbourne, we would just ache to go to these parties in Sydney. And I did attend a couple of the warehouse parties in Sydney, but they were very underground parties like less than 2,000 people. Wow, amazing. Yeah. Um, And Gavin, you were saying that you opened Tasty in 1992, which was this kind of alternative gay dance night. It was notorious for its grope maze, which (laughs) sounds crazy, (laughs) and um, as well, obviously, as its diverse queer clientele. But what what made it like such a special place? Well, um, we actually started Tasty at a club called Temple which was okay. in Flinders Lane. Gavin Brown and a, a bunch of other guys and myself, we tried to have our own venue rather than go into other people's venues and, mm. and, and work with them. So we had to run this club three or four nights a week and we obviously did a gay night and we called that Tasty. But we, we all argued so much that we didn't pay the rent and we got locked out, but Tasty had taken off. It was, it was really special. And, and at that particular version of Tasty, we had a, a what's called a grope box. It was just a, fr- a wooden frame that sat in the corner and it had holes in it and we would, we would convince someone to go in there um, and, and people would put their hands in and f- basically play with whoever was in there. 
Um, so it was, actually sounds amazing. It was yeah, very, gosh, it sounds like an Iron Maiden, but like for like a good one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was he was our favourite person to be in there was this ex footballer who had three testicles. Oh my gosh! And, oh, yes. Wow. And, and we would get him drunk. He wanted he wanted to do it, by the way. Yeah. And, and he would go in there. And people would feel around, and, and when you always watch people's faces for when they find the third ball. <laughs> wow. what, what a surprise! I'm looking for the Easter eggs. Yeah. Oh my god. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm keen to know what happened when the the grape box evolved into the grape maze. What what did that look like? Oh, well, see, what, what happened was, uh, as I said, we, the, the landlord locked us out of the building in Flinders Street because there was a, a big shift towards building apartments, turning old uh-huh. office buildings into apartments. And so they saw dollar signs and um, locked us out. Uh, we spent a lot of money in arbitration on the Monday morning to try to get back in, but it, it was hopeless. So what we did as an emergency space to hold our Saturday night party, which was tasty, which was working, uh, we went to a venue called The Paladin, which is now the Royal Melbourne Hotel. We did two Saturdays there and realised it wasn't good enough. And um, I remembered that the Commerce Club existed. And when we, the reason why we chose to go to the Commerce Club was because in between um, operators, uh, this, this guy named Max Poyser started like a cruise venue there where you would hang around upstairs and have a drink and then you just go downstairs to this really run down mm. maze it was a room with a maze in it and it was pitch black and i just said to my partners at temple i said i i think we should go down to that because we've actually can turn our growth box into a full walk through maze amazing. And, amazing. and um <laughs> so that's what we did <laughs> <laughs> and um very very much like uh a Berghain. if any of you boys have been to berlin in the last 10 years oh yes yep. the famous Berghain techno club when you're in that venue, you just slip into rooms. There's just doorways, and you go in, and it's just this cavernous maze. I miss clubs. I <laughs> know. <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> but can I point out that this yeah. was the first time a cruise area had been linked with a licensed premises. Really? Um, yeah. Oh wow! In the past, yeah. Before that, it was a sauna. You went to a sauna, or you went to a bar or a pub. Or a club. And there isn't we, really any we, left in Melbourne now, is there? You've got the Peel used to have that room upstairs and Circuit used to have the their upstairs room. They've yes, got both got rid of theirs. There's no really they? any licensed venues that have just a cruising area anymore here. No, and I don't even know whether any of the Club X ones are, are still Yeah, um, otherwise it's just wet on Wellington and, and um Subway. But yeah. But it, it, it was really exciting for us to be doing something so subversive mm. in, in a in a club. And um, it was typical for us to be the people to do that. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Now, to take a bit more of a a serious turn, um, in 1994, the Victorian police raided the club and forcibly stripped search and illegally held 463 of your patrons as well as staff um, for about seven Mm -hmm. hours. Uh, Full nudity was in force and cavity searches were performed in full view of everyone. Um, So were you there on the night? I wasn't there on the night. I um, we had two clubs at, at that point in time. Uh, we had Razor Promotions going, which was named after the club we had in the eighties. And so Razor Promotions, we did a 
a gay club, which was tasty. We did an upfront kind of underground straight club on a Friday night. But on the, the other club we had on a Saturday was called Bump, which was held at Redheads on Albert Park Lake. And that was mainstream straight and such a big club. We had like a couple of thousand people each Saturday night. Wow. So, yeah, yeah. We were kind of ruling the clubs for uh, about a four-year period in the 90s, our little group, which was fun. And we had a lot of power uh, to be able to go into venues and say, if we did a night here, we could bring in this many. And they would believe us. So the people at Redhead allowed us to turn that into a club called Bump. And we were there running that night. Uh, each each Saturday night we would leave at around 2am and go to the Commerce Club because the Commerce Tasty Night went through to 8, 9, 10am each Saturday, each Sunday morning. Oh, I love that. Amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we had... We had a long night and we just divided it up. Funny thing was we never used to start drinking and carrying on until we got to Tasty. (laughs) (laughs) So on that particular night, you were finishing up at Bump and then you were heading over there. So what was like your perspective on what happened that night? Well, I got a, uh, the the venue at Redhead Bump. We we got a phone call and they said the raid's on. And the, the phone call was expressing that this raid was much more full on than than any of us anticipated and we were advised to stay put and staff and people said that they would come down to redhead to where we were as they got let out but it it took hours for the first Mm. people to get let out yeah so so we we just sat around twiddling our thumbs all night yeah right well i think i know the answer to this question but just to sort of get it out there for people that may not have heard about the tasty raids it was officially known as as operation maze by the police and they expressed that the motivation for them was a drug search but the sexuality of the people that were in the venue was well known to police and there's intense speculation that the club was specifically targeted you know for reasons grounded in homophobia do you do you would you agree with that statement I would 100% agree yep. with that statement. Mm-hmm. And I have various uh, reasons for saying that too. Uh, well, Operation Maze, what does that tell you? Yeah. Uh, we, and, and on our advertising, we would very openly call, say, there's a grope maze. Mm-hmm. Um, upstairs, mm-hmm. dancing, downstairs, groping, things like that. Mm-hmm. So that, that was obvious. But the, another telltale sign of that being the case is they went and searched all of the police stations in the outer boroughs mm-hmm. of Melbourne to find their squad to raid this gay club. Oh, right. Yeah, so why would you go to the outer boroughs to get all the redneck, yeah, you know, yeah. um, out of suburban cops yeah, and bring right. them in? So the people that organised it were definitely anti-gay and lesbian. And, and again, yeah. for, for people that, that haven't heard about this before, so my understanding is that, that, as you just said, people were held for much longer than they should have been. So basically what happened from what I understand is that the cops came in, turned the lights on, closed the doors so no one could leave, and then people were held there for hours. Then the, the women in the venue were searched by female cops, the men were searched by male cops, and am I right in thinking that the drag performers or drag artists that were there were then held for even longer while they tried to work out who should be searching them because of this gender confusion? Yes. That's exactly right. They they were treated the worst of the night. Anyone who was in drag or any trans gender people mm-hmm. were treated the worst and ridiculed openly in front of the rest of the... Like, there was basically a queue, men on the left, women on the right, and all you others, you know, in between. And there was, there was one uh, drag queen that we used to call Sabrina, who was actually very, very vocal and 
and being quite rude to the cops. Mm-hmm. And so, you know. As you understandably um, would be if your civil liberties are being stolen yeah. in front of you. Yeah. Oh, sure. absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, the um, w- w- one of the main people that was uh, taking on the class action against the cops, uh, he, he's told me he himself knew his rights, but because the cops were so aggressive, so loud, they were waving banners and torches oh, and God. things around in your face, that that he he went silent mm-hmm. as well as as well as um, all the other frightened. Of course, people. you would. I mean, I can't even imagine. Yeah. I mean, also, uh, presumably, if if the place is open until ten a.m., there are going to be some people there that are either drunk or on drugs or whatever. You know, once the lights are flicked on and you're there and you, you're outfit and that sort of stuff at four o'clock in the morning, uh, and you have taken something, that's going to also really add to people's panic. I'm assuming. Oh yes. Well, you know, let's let's be honest about it. People had substances on them yeah. and consumed them once the raid began. Mm-hmm. So people were are now, yeah, yeah. People, you can imagine people yeah. peeking, out of hand, oh, the wa- um, waiting. Uh, so, some some people actually came along because it was going to be raided uh, because right. we knew that the raid was on that night. Right. Okay. We were we, we were told a month beforehand by various sources because there was a quite a broad police operation in general in the clubs over the 18 months prior to this raid where they were trying to get to understand what was going on with the drugs in the clubs because suddenly ecstasy and and speed and and all these drugs were out of really quite out of control in Melbourne and in Sydney so the cops had to figure out what was going on and so they would be in and out of the clubs all the time and as I mentioned we had another couple of clubs at that moment in time and they were also heavily trolled by cops you know they'd come through every hour and and just create a bit of a dud atmosphere but Mm. um so we're expecting at some point this is going to happen but there was one saturday in particular where our phones ran hot we had an office number and cops were ringing us all day cops cops who were very concerned that um obviously they were that's another reason why i think it was homophobic because cops were hearing these dickheads, well, I should probably yeah, yeah. <laughs> hearing people talk about what what's going to happen that night. And so we were getting warning calls because our, oh. our phone number was widely publicised mm. uh, on ads and stuff. So it was easy for people to get the number. So we knew. So we told everybody as they came into the club that night mm-hmm. to, be, to be careful because we knew that there was definitely a police raid and they were going to be uh, possibly strip searching people. And so people would either consume their drugs and then come in or, maybe go home or whatever. But I personally know people who, once the lights went on, they just popped whatever they had on them. Yeah, yeah. I know I know. this is not a cool thing to be saying, really, but it's been many years now, so that's what happens. It blows my mind that they were even allowed to, like, strip search people, like, just mm. on the spot in front of everybody. Mm. Like, yeah. there, there was actually um, an iconic photograph that was taken by a patron with a disposable camera, which is crazy because now everyone just has camera phones. But um, yeah. they weren't spotted by police and actually ended up on the front page of The Age, which is a Melbourne newspaper. Um, was the fact that the raid became so newsworthy, like, a really big surprise to you? Not really, not really. I was surprised that it went further than Victoria. Like it was, it was all over the country, mm. and and even the UK picked up on the story. But in a way, Jacques, I think, is the guy who took that photo. In a way, his photo is a very early precursor to things like you know videoing the police murdering George Floyd last yeah. month. Absolutely. And had that photograph not been taken, I think a lot of the reform that we saw in the in the Victorian police 
probably would not have happened or at least wouldn't have happened when it happened. Yes, I agree. Uh, and I think a lot of the queer rights in, in Australia would have been years behind had that photo not have been leaked because I don't I, – I don't know a lot about the court case and stuff, but from what I understand, um, a lot of the sympathy for the people there probably wouldn't have been felt if that picture hadn't come out. I, you're absolutely right. I, I, I don't think it would have been the big thing that it was. But, you know, um, on the Monday morning, because there was a lot of phone calls on Sunday, people outraged, a lot of talk, and the whole community was, was just in shock. We all agreed to meet about 50 people, movers and shakers, community leaders, solicitors, all that kind of stuff in the, in the gay community. We all met and strategized and figured out how the gay community should be responding to this outrage that happened on Saturday night, Sunday morning. Nobody could understand why mm, mm. they would be so stupid and so so brutal and so um, disrespectful. Mm. Um, e- even though we've all experienced some homophobia, this was beyond the pale. This was... Um, yeah, pretty full on. Mm. Well, obviously that meeting led to what ended up being a very successful class action lawsuit against the Victoria Police, which ended up with damages over $10 million uh, awarded to the patrons for false imprisonment and assault. But a lot of people at the time have said that the sum would have been considerably higher if all of the affected people had come forward. Why do you think some people chose not to participate in legal action? Well, I, I know a few people that were very seriously affected by it. One guy packed up his home and moved to Sydney um, I, know, I know a DJ that sold his records. I won't name him, but he sold his records because he was there on the night and was strip searched in the booth. He was actually the first person to be strip searched in front of the whole room. Really? Far out. He, he DJs a little bit still, but he was shattered. Um, yeah, people were just traumatised. You can understand why, can't you? Because this is only 15 years after the first Mardi Gras where people were rounded up and their names were printed in newspapers and that sort of thing. So I guess that would be still relatively fresh in people's minds. And and like you say, not necessarily people that weren't out of the closet but perhaps had professional jobs where this could still still be... Risky, yeah. um, It's scary. Risky for them, yeah. Scary, yeah. yeah. But the other thing is... The, the type of descriptions you were getting in the media of the club was that of course. it was a debauched gay thing and the, the police just were unfortunately didn't find anything. So that's the other thing. You don't want people to know that they would go out to a dancing all night on a Saturday to this underground because it, mm. it really was a, a raw little dance club, tasty. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and what kind of message do you think the class action sent about the gay community at the time? <laughs> Well, it's just don't fuck with us. Absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. Uh, It was just great also knowing that that this was being prepared by smart people and and, and truth was on our side. Thank heavens for the uh, photo that was taken. Apparently the the, the cops turned around, they heard the click, but they couldn't see anybody because it was just a tiny little, you know, we used to have little disposable cameras. Little plastic ones, yeah. And they would fit into your pocket. The wind-up ones. Yeah, Yeah, the wind-up ones. (laughs) In fact, there, it was quite a thing. There was one night at the first Tasty where we actually gave them out at the door so oh, yeah. everyone could take photos. Yeah. Amazing. Oh, cool. I love that. Yeah. So on the 20th anniversary of the Tasty Nightclub raid in 2014, uh, the Victorian police made an official apology to the LGBTQ community. Um, they said the raid had caused distress and worsened the relationship between the police and the gay community. Um, so the police have a long history of terrorising the queer community. Uh, Do you think 
sort of trust has been regained in the time since the raid? Trust has, trust was lost and I don't think it's ever been regained, to be honest. No. I'm keen to know how you feel about, I, I think it was around about 2014 when Christine Nixon first marched with the Victoria Police at Midsummer's Pride March uh, in Melbourne. Yeah. How do you feel about, about the police marching in queer pride um, events? Well, I really liked Christine Nixon and I cried when I saw so did I. her. Yeah, I, I really did. I, loved, I lived on Fitzroy Street at the time. And my, my mates and I were all watching, and I cried. Mm. I was—I've I, never disliked or held anything against the police for the Tasty raid. I—I I, I lost my business, you know. Like I, no one came to Tasty the following week, mm. but um, for some reason I still wasn't bitter and twisted about it. Uh, but yeah, I, I think that we should uh, embrace the cops, and the cops should embrace us. But but um, it's very disappointing to see there's rogues. In, in, in all areas, mm-hmm. really. Now, you had a uh, Tasty Raid 20th anniversary party uh, where you put a bit of a call out for anyone who was at the raid to attend a VIP event uh, before the public yes. party um, for an opportunity to reflect and on what happened and how things have changed since then. Can you tell us about that? That was fun that night. We went to, because um, I, I was involved with uh, Puff from the beginning of Puff mm-hmm. So we held it at uh, Puff which was Chase's, it was a free entry for anyone um, from the past. You know, you just had to contact us and let us know you were coming. And so we had about 350 people there. Oh, wow. wow. Yeah. Oh. And I think that the police apology that week mm. really gave us mm. a, a skip in our step. That's so because good. It was incredible to, to be acknowledged like that. Mm. And um, the, the other person that I was impressed with the most through this whole saga and and on that night as well, who spoke for us was Sally Gordon, who uh, is a girl from Sydney, who put her house up as collateral, and was the test case in court. And really, well, yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, yeah. Um, she was really brave and uh, just represented everything so well. Uh, her case was one, and so everyone else it just followed suit was really inspirational. So it's, um, it's, you, you would say that there's definitely a sense that it's still very much part of people's minds and, and um, people still feel somewhat affected by it today. Yes, mm. yes. I have a couple of friends that, that still get quite upset. I see a tear in their eye when they talk about it. Uh, one, of the, one, one fellow in particular, Michael Monty, who was one of the, the main people. There was a documentary made by some Sydney people yeah. about this and um, Michael was one of the lead people talking throughout that along with people like Peter Alexander. But um, we had the best night. In fact, it was just like Tasty. It's it's really weird how you can, with people and sounds, mm. you can actually mm. uh, have the same thing. Yeah. Totally. Oh, Gavin, thank you so much for coming in and speaking, coming in, being in your own <laughs> home and speaking to us about <laughs> all your experiences. Uh, we really, really appreciate your time. Um, how can people follow uh, the DJ music work that you do now? Well, um, I'm on Facebook uh, as DJ Gavin Campbell. I still work at places like, oh, well, you know what? None of us are working at No. (laughs) (laughs) How about that? I was just about to give Honcho Disco a plug. Oh, I love Honcho. (laughs) (laughs) No, I can't. Um, There's also another page on Facebook called Disco3183, which is a, a disco party that I do with the local cafe in St Kilda. Incredible. Awesome. <laughs> Honestly, Gavin, this Loved has been really it. fascinating. Yeah. 
Thank you so much, Gavin. This has been Good. really, really fascinating. Look, it's a, it's an absolute pleasure. I, I I feel a bit stupid for forgetting my train of thought. No, but it's if, fine. You, if you'd spent all those years at Tasty, you would be the same. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Well, thank you again, Gavin, for coming in. That was an incredible so interview. Good. I just, I feel like a little bit chuffed that we got to do an interview uh, with Gavin. <laughs> I mean, I, I've, I've heard that story from like lots of different perspectives and I've read about it and seen the documentary and stuff, mm. although we're not promoting the documentary, obviously. No. <laughs> but yeah, a little bit chuffed you to have him on our link. podcast. We'll definitely have to have him back in. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you everyone for joining us this evening. As mentioned earlier, we will be talking about uh, Naya Rivera in our after show from Glee and talking about the legacy that is Glee so if you are a part of our Patreon please hang on no, in there stop and- <laughs> in our Patreon <laughs> uh, head on over there now and you- you'll be able to listen to us and if not what are you Get doing stuffed. Just what are you doing with your life sign on up <laughs> yeah <laughs> um, but otherwise we'll see y'all next week bye bye, bye. bye.